Well, welcome back to another CP Media podcast brought to you by our great friends, Team CP, your endurance coaching specialist. And of course, this podcast is always a two-for-one deal. Uh, I am, of course, your media man with the Mo, and uh, right alongside me is our team captain, one Richard Greer. Rick Greer, welcome back to another very exciting CP Media podcast. Yeah, good stuff. Look at you with your fancy microphone there, Angus. So uh, you obviously upgraded. It's part of the, the continued improvement. Little 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 gains the whole way along. That was the whole media year's media budget spent just in this little flag that goes around the microphone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, actually, that's 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 with the media budget of zero. Uh, that's um, yeah, extensive extensive uh, selling. So well done, well done. A lot of outlay there, and I just also want to say, of course, <laughs> we are live and we are across Facebook. We're on our our uh, Team CP main Facebook page. We're on our Team CP community page, and but a big warm welcome to all the viewers joining us over on the Waka 100 Facebook channel. Uh, Waka 100, of course, being a great partner of uh, Team CP. We're quite heavily involved there, and uh, thank you to them for sharing uh, our podcast tonight. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's, it's great. I want, we're gonna we're gonna have a chat to Braden Byrne, who uh, went and did the um, uh, another event that Tim. Farmer runs the Highlander on the weekend, so I have a bit of a chat to him. And obviously, uh, there's there's an event that that I've got on my calendar, and you've got on your calendar, Angus, uh, called the Walker 100 Miler uh, later on in October as well. So looking forward to having a bit of a chat about that, and maybe picking up a tip or two from our main uh, guest tonight, Anton Cooper. Yeah, and look before before we get into Anton's intro, there's something I didn't tell you before. Yeah. But Richard, we keep saying how we keep making the big time. Well, we've hit the big time this time, and I'll tell you why we've hit the big time. Because uh, this is pretty exciting that Anton's joined our podcast. Because I'm not sure if it's his exact last podcast he was on, but it'll be pretty close to being one of the last ones he was on. He was on a podcast with a fellow by the name of Payson McKelvin, who, if you follow uh, the world of mountain biking, uh, Payson is a Red Bull athlete. He rides for the Orange uh, Orange Seal team, um, has set FKT records on the White Rim Trail, has had them taken away from him again, but also runs a podcast called The Adventure Stash. He claims to have uh, probably the best <laughs> moustache in the biking world. I don't know about that, Rich. What do you think? Uh, well, I'm not sure if I can comment about that, but just keep doing your best, Angus. Uh, you're, you're, you're definitely developing a bit of a persona there with the media man, with the Mo. So, uh, yeah, just keep it there. Don't shave it off. I did see some pictures, actually, from the Pioneer a couple of years ago that we did together. And, actually, I do think you suit a moustache in hindsight. <laughs> well, well, there you go. If only yeah, I had a before cool. and after photo just handy there, Rich. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's for next week. Maybe. So without further ado, let's roll on because this is pretty exciting. It is absolutely fabulous to have Anton Cooper with us tonight, Richard. Yeah, absolutely. Anton, uh, uh, yeah, really looking forward to having a chat to Anton. Anton's a professional mountain biker. He's been so for a, a number of years now. He's won the national championship in February, and that's the seventh, nas seventh national title that he's won. Anton's also won Commonwealth Games gold uh, and silver. He's been to the world, he's won the world junior mountain bike championship. Also, the under twenty three champion uh, is his fifth season riding for the Trek Factory team. Is currently ranked seventeenth in the world, and um, it's actually I think it's a position that he's uh, sure to move up the rankings as he looks to improve through to the Tokyo Olympics later on in the year. And don't um, forget one important fact that he's a, a Cantabrian, Richard. Yeah, yes, yes. Lives just down the down the road in uh, in Westmoreland, not far away from the adventure park. So ride past his place on some of our group rides and things. I haven't seen him out there yet, which is probably fortunate for us just to to help our team morale a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> um, pretend like we're going okay. But uh, yeah, Anton's on his way back to Europe in the next week or two. So thought we'd take this opportunity to catch up with him before he does head away. Exactly. So, welcome, Anton. Welcome to our show. You've you've uh, thank you for joining us. You don't know how big a bigger show this really is. <laughs> Cheers, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Don't talk us up too much, Angus. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's yeah, got it, right? Somebody. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Anton. Awesome to have you on the show. Uh, had a chat to you at the end of the race, which you uh, went and had a decent crack at, uh, second on that particular day, which is probably a position in New Zealand anyway. You're not particularly used to um, to, to standing on a different spot on the podium. But uh, tell us a little bit about a bit of your background. How did you get into mountain bike? Everyone, like you've been around the around the show for a long time now. Are you 26? How old are you now? Yeah, 26. 26, yeah. I feel like you've been been around for a long, long time. But you started mountain biking pretty young. Um, tell us a little bit about that journey and who were your key influences um, in those early years? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it feels a gift to me as well. I've been, I've been around for quite a while. Um, still young, still young at heart, but uh, a veteran of sorts. But um, yeah, I guess mum and mum and dad were the ones that really encouraged me to to get into it. Um, when I was younger, I, I grew up out in North Canterbury in Woodend, playing tennis, um, soccer, cross country running, um, all those kind of things that a young young boy wants to do. And I guess playing on a bike, I really I really enjoyed riding my bike and building jumps and seesaws and rock gardens and pump tracks and um, was fortunate enough to grow it on like four, four and a half acres of land out at mum and dad's place there. So I was always building tracks and looping out through the gum trees and whatnot out the back. So um, that probably, and just riding with my mates, um, ignited the spark for it. And I always had that competitive side as well through tennis and cross country running and um just being a competitive prick so that that kind of yeah led to to one thing um leading to another and that was becoming yeah competitive mountain biking thought i'd give that a go nice work was there a key moment as a young rider that yep i can do this and could do well at this like was there a breakthrough win that you had or or a moment that you're like yep this is what i'm going to take up opposed to tennis or or some of those other sports I guess my my first race, I was um, I was eleven years old, um, so I was year six. I think it was at primary, um, yeah, primary school, and I kind of had to lie a little bit about my age to get in and race against the year seven and eights um, at the Canterbury Champs, and I was really unsure about it because I didn't want to turn up and get my ass kicked because I thought I would, yep. and um, but Dad. Dad been riding with me a lot, and I was giving him a hard time and beating him up the hills and whatnot. So <laughs> he thought I'd have a good shot, and I ended up winning the thing by like five minutes. Jesus. So I decided I was probably quite good at it, and uh, enjoyed. You know, anyone enjoys winning, and yep. and um, everyone enjoys finding something they're good at. So I just wanted to do more and more races, and um, yeah, just kind of it was a flow-on effect from there, really. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just reading some uh, notes of you, like you, like my for my memories, it's it's winning Motatapu as a like youngster. When was the first time you won that race? Um, the first year I raced it, I was I was second to Marcus Roy, and he got away from me in the the rivers at the bottom. I was probably right. I don't know, fourteen, fifteen, um, and just I stumpy little legs. I still do. But he, he just, yeah, mowed past me in the rivers. And I think he'd probably sussed them out as well. So um, I went back yep. next next time I did it and checked out all the river crossings and, and ended up winning. So I, I don't know. Maybe I won it at 15 or 16, like the year after that. Um, I haven't been back in, in many years, but it's one race I'd have to get back to at some point. Yeah, that's right. And Karapoti, you won that. That's a iconic New Zealand race uh, in around about the same sort of age and, and uh, made a few people sit up and take notice of who is this young kid and uh, how well you're actually going at that stage. Yeah, well, Karapoti was like a massive event. Well, it still is. It's um, yep. the longest running race in the Southern Hemisphere for mountain biking. So yep. um, it always attracts a big crowd. And for me, it's outside of the national champs i would i would say in my eyes it's the biggest event um or the most important outside of the national championships for mountain biking here in new zealand so um i try to get along to that one whenever i can i went back last year and tried to have a nudge at the record but the uh it was dry 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 and the night before i actually hosed down and took minutes out of the course so yeah. i was hoping to get back this year and i would have gone as well but um it got cancelled or postponed to yeah. a date that uh, oh, I won't be here for her anymore, unfortunately, with um, that little COVID outbreak or one of those COVID outbreaks. So, bit of a pain. Yeah, that's a that's a bit frustrating. Um, with with Commonwealth Gold and Silver and World Junior Championships wins and and under twenty three titles to your name, tell us about a performance that you're most proud of and why. I think the Commonwealth Games win in twenty fourteen was um, a massive win for me. And then coming, I guess, off the back of, a, I would call it a rough couple of years. I mean, things probably got a bit rougher for me in like ten in years after that, but it was still a rough couple of years. And I just think the performance, I really lifted. I lifted my game so much on that day and I executed everything well and I executed the finish well. And um, there was nothing I really could have done, done much better. And winning a Commonwealth gold as a 
teenager mm-hmm. um, as an underdog as well. I think that was that was massive. But uh, perhaps even if I go further back to 2012, my first, uh, well, my second year as a, a under 19, and the year before that, in my first World Champs, I got second, and it was a race I was a favourite for, and I got caught up in the start early on and lost a lot of places, and it kind of threw away my race. I'm not, I don't. Yeah not saying I would have won it because the guy who won was very strong, but I threw away the chance of winning it. Yep. Um, and the year after that, I, I was odds on. I'd been winning World Cups by, by massive margins, by minutes. And um, I still think for a young man to go out and have that pressure on him and knowing all the teams are watching me, um, but to go out and ride the way I did and just execute and deliver – and not get phased by that. I think that was showed to me personally that I was almost made for the big, big time and I could handle that big stage. Um, and it showed to a lot of people that I could as well. So that gave me a lot of confidence from a young age about my ability on the world stage. Yeah, good. Just to walk forward to that challenge rather than to be nervous about it, to have good positive experiences there when the pressure's on and, uh, and really perform at that level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and especially those early days of your career, to have good experiences like that is, is actually really important and to get a few of those notches under your belt so that when hard times do kind of come, you can call back on that and say, hey, I've done it before. I can do it again. You know, I know what I can do. I know what I'm capable of. And that that's, for me, has always been a big motivating factor. Like mm-hmm. when your chips are down, you, you say, well, I'm, I'm better than this. I, I can be better than this and um, claw your way back out, really. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you're in good form at the moment, like with your with the form that you've had over the summer, just before you head away. But it hasn't always been that way. You've had some chronic fatigue issues, uh, as you mentioned, uh, leading up into that um, Commonwealth Games event. You weren't going super well. Uh, tell us a little bit about that time. What what sort of led to that? Uh, what would you do differently now, and maybe what advice you'd give to others? Because that's I think one of the things as an endurance athlete that a lot of us are. It's, it's not easy, and, and I think sometimes we have to actually go to that place to learn from it, to know not to get back there again. What, what's yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your experience. Well, I think your burnout and fatigue and all that, it's almost the case of trying too hard and, and wanting to um, – yeah, it's just trying too hard, really. And it's not it's an overcommitment to some things and and uh, under commitment to your recovery mm-hmm. and and it leads to this downward spiral really so i think for me it was like just thrashing myself and not really not really listening and perhaps being you know i finished finished high school yeah. and i went straight into this full-time gig i had a professional contract actually you know straight off the bat um and so i was getting paid to ride my bike Mm -hmm. so i wasn't doing uni and i didn't have these other things filling my time so suddenly all my day i could i could train just ride and ride and and train trained and um and you feel like it you know the more you do the the faster you're going to get but it didn't really doesn't really work like that Mm -hmm. and at some point you're you start kind of wearing yourself thin and you and when results don't go your way, you start trying harder and harder and you're going, Oh, I need to get leaner, I need to, you know, tr- do more hours or train this intensity. And that kind of just one thing led to another. It was just like thrashing my body too much. So it kind of came to a head in twenty sixteen when I yeah, I was having a lot of upper respiratory infections, um, chronic fatigue kind of symptoms where I was just always blown out just just exhausted really i couldn't train to the best of my ability you know your max heart rate was way down and stuff like that um and i went to an ent specialist as well i've been to a lot of doctors and but ent specialists noticed that my adenoids were like severely inflamed and they didn't they didn't go away under monitoring so we had those removed um and took a good break and it really helped but also the lessons learned i think helped um immediately when i started training again i was so much fresher and immediately i had better numbers in training right. than i did in years um so i knew it was a big fix but it was a matter of going forward it's just kind of being more consistent managing my 
my my load, but also my rec recovery. And I think recovery is is a massive massive thing, often overlooked in athletes. Yeah, good. So so it's listening to your body. It's more is not always better. There's a limit, and everybody's got yeah. a limit. And 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 the key factor that led to that for you was actually the fact you couldn't go to school and you weren't made to sit down for a bit. Um, that you could just yeah, actually sure. ride your bike, ride your bike so much. So uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. So. Um, in terms of that now, like, have you got another focus? Do you do you go to uni? Have you got other stuff that you're doing, or what? What else do you have as a focus away from cycling, just to kind of get that balance for you? No, I don't have any. I don't. Or I haven't studied. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty full on lifestyle, traveling yeah. and racing around the around the world, and um, it doesn't really. Well, hasn't personally lent me too much yeah. time to fit that stuff in. Um, yeah. Or if I felt like I, I could have done it, it would be a detriment to my cycling performance. So mm -hmm. I I filled my time with other things. I've I realized you know time with family and friends was so valuable mm -hmm. and so important for me. But also to find that mental break from from cycling. You know, like when I was a kid, I remember going out and riding my bike and that was something you do after school and for fun and you do it with your mates because it was exciting. It was, uh, yeah. oh, <laughs> screw the homework. Yeah. I want to ride my bike. Yeah. But, you know, um, nowadays it's, you train, let's say you're six days a week on the bike and you don't want to come home from your training and suddenly, oh, I don't, you don't, you don't really want to go jump on the chairlift and, do bike park laps with your mates anymore because it's i've already ridden my bike today like I've i don't want to go again i want to do something else so <laughs> um personally yeah spending time with my my family um going on adventures in the back country um fishing with dad spear fishing i like a lot so i do quite a bit of that yeah. getting out in the ocean um and things like that i are a mental break for me and and kind of take me away from the world of cycling so that when i come back to training i'm actually ready to go and i'm fresh yeah. and um, motivated but yeah you talk about like when you started riding your bike it was about having fun and and that's what why we all start riding our bike and um just to go downhill fast and see if we can etc um and obviously as, at a young age you build a lot of those skills up that help you flow around those mountain bike tracks like watching you at the nationals it just looks so easy just the way that you that you float over stuff maybe because you've got a better engine than i have that might be a start of it but um is there any any elements of your sort of skills and things you you're working on or do you feel like you've kind of got most things that you need nailed for the level of courses that you're coming up against on the world circuit um mountain biking is all about efficiency i know people yep. think road biking and that is the pinnacle of that but and, and it it's important yes aerodynamics and you know which wheel set and tires mm -hmm. you use but mountain biking efficiency is is really is so much it's, it's exaggerated you put a strong road cyclist on a mountain bike and the minutes minutes and minutes off the pace mm -hmm. um even though that's the biggest engine and that just comes down to being efficient like how but it's efficiency in a different way it's how you're putting your power down it's how you're negotiating those roots those rocks um yeah. when you're going fast when you're recovering how fast you corner and stuff like that um those are all so important in mountain bike. And that's when you see a top rider, that's why it looks easiest because they've got years and years and years in the bank of, yep. of you know, these fine tuning the skills. So that's second nature, like exactly when you change your gear. So it's, it's just a smooth, it's kind of man and machine um, yep. bonded together in a way. What I, I don't really practice anything um, in particular. I think, you can't do all, all your training as a mountain bike on a road bike, let's say, but you also can't yeah. do all of it on the mountain bike. Um, but certainly doing at least probably three rides a week on the mountain bike and making sure those rides are challenging technically, um, mm -hmm. uphill, downhill. When I'm out riding tracks and there's a, you know, a climb and there's oh, the slightly rocky line off to the left or the right, where you're always going to challenge yourself with the rocky one, even though you can... Um, you've done it a lot more and the other line might be, look easier and yep. faster. You just always challenge yourself. Like you might not take that line if it was a race, but you got to challenge yourself. So um, finishing your ride down through Barnvale or the 
or the bike park, I don't often take the flow track. It ends up, often ends up being one of the, the blacks or something to challenge yourself on the cross-country bike just so your skills are always um, ready to go for when the World Cup racing rolls around. Yeah, good stuff. So it's not, so as you're saying, like it's about efficiency and it's about effectively when you get to that new track that you're riding, actually practice laps and practice laps and efficiency and dialing in when you're, how you're going to ride your lines, et cetera. That's really where your skills are uh, dialed in specifically for each event and each race that you're doing. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Each yeah, course yeah, is so um, specific as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, nutrition. How do you do it? Tell us about uh, maybe a nutrition fail and what works for you now on race day. And then also what about longer stage races? Because they're different to the shorter um, lapped races. So let's start with the shorter lap races. What do you do nutritionally there? And then maybe a longer, uh, you're going to do the contact epic in a few weeks time. What yeah. What's your nutrition going to look like there? So for the cross country events like your world cup races and national champs etc we race for let's call it an hour and a half mm-hmm. so it's really intense um your gut at that intensity doesn't really handle much yeah and so you, you want to be feeling light um we race in the afternoon normally let's say around 3 p.m the world cup so yeah. in the morning i have breakfast i don't rise too early so uh, i have breakfast um and then my i like to have my last main meal finish up let's say around three hours before okay. the start. Um, I know teammates who try to do that three and a half hours. Um, for me personally, I'm, I'm a bit hungry by, by the start if I do that. But around three hours, um, and I'd often have muesli with yogurt for, for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, also, oh, maybe some berries or something like that. And then for my pre-race, or you call it lunch, um i my go-to is generally like plain uh or like white rice with eggs um or an omelet okay yeah i'll keep fairly simple but for me that i've i actually quite like that it's it's simple it's easy to get down i don't have any issues with nerves or anything about eating before a race i could you know i have to tell myself (laughs) to stop eating actually (laughs) rather rather than eat more um yeah. and that gets me through to the start of a world cup race and i generally don't have any other snacks um before then about yeah. an hour before the start i take about 100 milligrams of caffeine tablets okay yeah um and then about 20 minutes 15 minutes before the start i take like a, a gel goo goo gel roctane <laughs> um and then throughout the race i i often just use like a goo hydration tab so it's electrolyte tab there's no carbs in that um yeah. and i might alternate laps with the roctane drink with caffeine and carbs okay and yeah. then um generally i would take another two gels staggered throughout the race um in the past i've i've been guilty of over consuming gels mm-hmm. stuff like that and um your body can only <laughs> taken so much you know you can't, can't you keep stuffing gels and it, it's not going to utilize that so yeah. um especially that intensity your gut's just sitting fairly dormant it's different for endurance you know riding um when i race uh, a long race road nationals contact epic saint james something like that um my breakfast will be a lot closer to the start um within two hours generally um and it might de- depend on people. I, I don't really get uh, an upset gut too much, um, even eating quite close. Like I can do my training rides throughout the day, have a main meal and leave pretty soon after and be okay. Yeah. But it all really depends on the intensity as well. Race first training, um, that all that endurance kind of race versus that real and high intensity um, race. That's but right. yeah, I, I consume a lot more like one square meals, cliff bars gels just when it comes to endurance racing for me it's kind of like actually just trying to fit quite a bit in um because you know you always need it in the back end of the race obviously within reason you're not going to go and eat 10 one square meals but if you got a four and a half hour race you at least want to have some something um substantial something to eat yeah that's right and your breakfast means that you can 
yeah, your breakfast means that you're you're gonna like having it closer means that you're gonna take that into the race with you, aren't you? Rather than doing yeah, digest the system sort of completely yeah. like empty and ready to fly on that that real high intense um, uh, World Cup lap type racing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a do you have a must do workout that you that you do on a weekly basis? Have you got a go to that that that's that's part of my week that I do every week? Um. As I get closer to events, I, I often have um, probably one session that's fairly fairly key throughout the last years, and it's been like that. Um, you kind of your threshold session, let's say five, uh, four to five, kind of ten to twelve minute climbs. Let's say um, sometimes up to let's say three twenty minute climbs at a at threshold pace, um, and I find that works for me really well um gets me in really good nick obviously yeah. you still need to do your vo2 the max work and stuff on top of that for mountain biking yeah. um but that's probably one one go-to session for me yeah right that's that's the one and how often how often like is it a is it a, a weekly thing for like three weeks prior to a key race is that sort of what you do on that type of a session might, yeah probably even further out than that um four or five weeks um yeah. But even throughout the season, it might not be weekly, but there'd always be a, a fairly it's a fairly common occurrence for my coach to chuck something like that in my program. Yeah, <laughs> go and ride some ride some up some hill up some hills fast and do a few Yeah, rides, yeah. Right? Like I probably common one that I'll do would be the backside of um governors to dies, that sort of thing. Or if you need a longer climb, then um often head further afield if I have twenty minute reps, I'll go out Kinlock Road. Um okay over near little river something like yep. that yeah nice nice um uh, what do you do to measure your progress how, how do you do that what testing protocol do you use so all my i use well, garments power meter heart rate monitor yeah um so uploaded the training peaks my coach monitors that mm -hmm. i regularly do um functional threshold power testing 20 minute testing um to determine that and throughout the season as well especially early early in the season when i'm not racing much i'll yeah. do quite a bit of that yeah um, so like every, every month or so you do a 20 minute power test i would say even yeah probably every three weeks okay that's pretty brutal yeah yeah, yeah. i mean they're pretty savage um <laughs> yeah, this is your job i guess isn't it that's what you've got to do yeah 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe three to four weeks. I mean, it feels it's probably four yeah. weeks, but it probably feels like three weeks because you know they're, they're brutal and they sure? you feel like yeah. I just done one of these. <laughs> um, yeah. Five minute five minute test thing. You know, when you first get back into training, it's it's hard because you're unfit, and then yeah. your coach wants you to do you know one minute max testing, five minute max, twenty minute max, and you've kind of got this all in the space of well. I don't know, four or five days. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's always end up being a hard week. But um, when you see the rewards and the gains you make as you start that training process again, and and um, and having that data banked from at least you know ten years, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no. So where are you at in your season at the moment? You're about to head overseas. Uh, when's the last lot of testing you've done? What? How are you progressing at the moment? So I haven't actually done any testing in a while um right. because i've been quite busy since road nationals with a lot of racing so yep. there hasn't been quite the same need for the testing or the time to really yeah. fit it in with training yep. um but right now i'm i'm about two weeks out from leaving to europe and so about four weeks out from the first world cup so um i'm starting to bring in in uh, a significant amount more intensity into my training um the net you know that the week when you travel is always one of the hardest ones to manage because that week you arrive you often have highs and lows within the week to, you know with yeah. jet lag it's a bit of a funny one how it affects you so it can be easy to do too much or too little and um and especially only a couple of weeks out from from the world first world cup it's it can be difficult to manage but you really got to listen to yourself but certainly, yeah, adding a lot, quite a bit more intensity into the week, and I, that definitely sharpens me up really quick. 
yeah nice nice uh the, the old indoor smart trainer it's relatively recent sort of um thing that's been added to the the list of tools from a cycle training perspective do you use one if so how do you, does it fit into your training what do you do in that regard um no i don't use okay. one i can't stand yeah, them eh? like yeah personally i i struggle being inside yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but i'm also lucky in the sense like this is my job and i i don't have to come home um and especially in these winter hours and yeah. after working and then have to try train as well so i understand it i got nothing against that personally but yeah. for me it's um i don't <clears throat> i don't have one i don't mm -hmm. enjoy it i have a old uh stationary trainer that's probably covered in cobwebs and dust in the garage somewhere that i, I might ride once maybe max twice a year um yeah, the weather's rubbish for 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 three weeks and it's been snowing and stuff and i just don't want to go yeah out there like yeah, yeah. it pretty much has to be unrideable <laughs> outside like 130 yeah. k an hour winds or or snow yeah. <laughs> or something for me the, the last time i rode it was um when payson had his uh i think angus mentioned that payson mckelvin had his yeah. uh Swift thing, and that was the first time I'd use Swift, and oh, and only I had to log in and set all this stuff up. So, yeah, um, yeah, that was the last time I used it. Yeah, well, there you go, nice work, and yeah. that's great. Now, like, you've got your power meter, you know your numbers, uh, you can do those intervals and things up various hills, so you know what you're up to. So, yeah, it makes complete sense. What about strength training? Thinking about indoor training, what do you do? Does it? Uh, what do you do in that regard? What are you, some key movements that you do? Does it change during the season? What do you do in that that side of things? um i yeah I, I go to the gym twice a week mm -hmm. um i try to it's if you're racing back-to-back -back weekends and stuff i cut that down to once a week um but yeah it's just a normal um a normal week would be twice a week i try to focus in there um a lot of my focus is on working on weaknesses in the gym rather than trying to add strength i'm naturally yeah. A solid rider um reasonably strong kind of rider so the strength stuff is not something i target hugely i work i work more on explosivity um core yeah stretching i do a lot of that in the gym i use that as a, as a session i do quite a bit in there stretching and foam roller um but also working on yeah like i said just those imbalances there's always something you might look back at the end of the season and go oh, i reckon maybe my right glute needs to be a bit stronger or this and you you kind of do this body map with the physios and they work out things where you could improve so that your efficiency on the bike is, is kind of even across your body or you're not getting little niggles and stuff like that so that's something i work on and, and always fine tuning but um I'm lucky to have been very much injury free and without throughout my career which has always been helpful yeah good and that's uh that's awesome that you've got that physio sort of uh check in is it a yearly thing is that what you tend to do just to go where am i at what's I would my body say, doing? Yeah, like a, a main yeah checkup would be a yearly thing with the physios yeah. and i try not you know we create this program and we monitor it but outside yeah. of that I, I try not to um well unless i have an issue yes um try not to go to the physio because <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> if you if you you don't need to bother them unless you've got a problem really and then you can people can waste a lot of time by thinking they've got issues and going and seeing people in reality that there's not much wrong yeah good stuff anton i'm just going to swing the conversation a little bit here and <clears throat> some of our viewers out there will be interested to hear I guess what it's like to be a pro rider, uh, obviously riding for the Trek Factory racing team, and you've got uh, quite a good team. There's the Trek Factory cross-country team with Yolanda Neff and Stefan Tempier and, and and young Evie Richards in there too now. Obviously, Emily Batty, she's she's gone off to her own, uh, do her own canyon thing and whatnot. But you see a lot of social media stuff, a lot of YouTube videos. You know, Yolanda's pretty good at that. It looks like it's a pretty solid fun time uh 24 7 over there but that is is that what it's like uh at times it's it's i suppose it's like that but you know social media you only see the the best things people aren't going to show you you know when they're in tears after a race or having a shit day so um or very rarely will they do that so um the i guess the mood 
the team, you know, feeds off each other as well. You know, if one of us has a big result, it uh, lifts the team spirit. If we all have bad ones, well, it can be a bit of a sorry day, but at least you're, you're kind of there for each other. So um, it's a great team to be a part of. Like you say, there's some really strong riders. We had the addition of Stefan last year, um, who was top three in the world um, in elite men. Um, so for me to have that, that older experienced rider still as well, I think that's that's great for me. Um, but also, the, I guess, the young, exciting talent on the ladies' side as well is, is pretty cool. Yeah, because that ladies' uh, cross-country racing has been pretty exciting over the last couple of years as that's grown away there. Is that really important for someone like yourself to have someone like Stefan in there um, with all that experience and obviously be at a high level, uh, you know, in the rankings as well? Does that help push you along? Like, What sort of gains do you make out of having a teammate that's better than you? Or not not necessarily saying he's better than you, but at that same level. Um, well, it's, it was a big, we only raced two World Cups last year, so yeah, I had a chance to really see. And the year before that, I, it was myself as, a, as the only male and we had four, four females. Correct. So, or five even at times with one of the other junior, young Americans that they were having on the team. So I was like the only guy other than the staff. So I ended up spending a lot of time with the staff, um, at times. And having your, your bloke chats about cars and whatnot. But um, <laughs> so for me, that was also a really tough year. Not so much I got on really well with the girls. It was more at, when it came to the racing and the course practice because a lot of the other top men all had um, top teammates as males as well. So when it comes to course practice and there's so there's so much line choice on a World Cup track, like they tape things wide and and there's so much things you could you could take and variations to that. So if you don't have a teammate or someone who's actually willing to try different lines with you or, or share, hey, Anton, I saw this line over there, you should go check it out. Sometimes you find yourself in the race at times, um, go, oh shit, they took that line. There was actually just it might have opened up you know like the day before the the race and i didn't practice that day but my teammate might have so there's little things that you you tell each other um and that's really the biggest thing i noticed last year having a, a top male teammate to ride around with was was course practice it was it was really important and what about the importance of someone like uh your bike mechanic there. I know that you know Scott. Scott, they've made a big deal out of Brad Copeland and and uh, with Kate Courtney. They made a big deal about him, and he's almost become a star of his own uh, of the show. The way he goes there, but do, is that what you have? Do you have an allocated uh, one allocated mechanic for the whole season? Is that your man in the corner? He's helping you set the thing up, and 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 how important is that to making progress throughout a weekend? Yeah, so <clears throat> normally on our team it would be one mechanic for two riders. So um, I've, I've normally worked with, you know, when I was with Kando, I had the same mechanic for four years. When, when I was with Trek, I had the same mechanic for three years. Um, last In the last two years, another one for the same same two years. So um, my mechanic at the moment, Jim, he, he works with myself and Stefan. And then um, the other main mechanic, Alvaro, he works with um, most of the ladies. Um, and when the race is on, you always have the two mechanics in the, in the, in the tech zone um in case they can help each other or if something goes wrong let's say stefan has an issue the same time i do there'll always be mechanics there so we do work with both mechanics um but yeah we have our kind of personal uh, mechanic as well which is um it's a, a really important relationship and they get to know you as well they get to know um your settings you, you know your tire pressures your suspension settings or your rebounds and you know your spring rates and all the stuff so um those things are really important for a mechanic to know and to know like second nature um, so that when you turn up, it's kind of and any, any fine tuning you make is quick and easy and you don't have to um, second guess it, it happened or not. 
And what, and what about on the on the weekends? I mean, again, I'm I'm drawing from from uh, other brands and other things that we see out there. You know, Fox have done a very good job at um, with their puzzling additions on YouTube. There, where mostly downhill orientated, but where they they show a lot of back stuff that's going on in the background with all the bike tuning that's going on and all the guys that are coming in looking for that. But obviously, you guys are with Rockshock. Um, but is that the same support? Is that the same level of support there for you guys? Can you go and see the experts and talk about what the course is doing and how the weather's changed it and, and pick up tips through that? Yeah, absolutely. I've um, spent quite a lot of time, um, quite a good relationship with the um, the SRAM guys and the ones that travel to the World Cups. Um, and also with the Shimano guys before that, you know, they're really keen to develop technology through the riders so they come to you for feedback we're always on the latest prototype stuff um sometimes you know years before it come, becomes production and so whatever you see that's a, that's at least you know your xtr or your xx1 equivalent is basically all rider influenced like that the shifter the lever all that stuff or drop um drop a post things it's all kind of been tried and tested on riders or has suggestion from your likes of your ninos or myself so these you know for a for a big brand like that having race teams that's kind of why teams are able to exist is because those big companies are actually willing and to to invest in us for that reason um so yeah we, we certainly i go to those guys a lot for sometimes advice on you know for fine tuning for certain courses um, often at the pre-season, uh, early, early team camps in the year, we'll have all those, those head guys and mechanics from SRAM and RockShot come out to the camp and they'll test with the cross country riders and, um, the downhill riders for the downhills, especially they spend a huge amount of time, like mm. days and days and days, um, suspension tuning, like for them, that's, that's massive for us in the cross country. It's, it's really important as well, but, um, the downhill just with the the amount of travel that you're working with and the speed that that's that fine tuning makes such a big difference for those guys as well do you get the opportunity to ride those downhill bikes like at any of those events or at any testing and things do, you, do they go hey here's here's a big bike go and have a play <laughs> i play around on them occasionally yeah like the at the double world cup round so the rounds where um cross country and downhill are together so Mont Saint-Anne, Leger, Snowshoe, all those, all those races. Um, we are set up pretty much as one team. So your cross country and downhill is, is as one team. You tip your pits back onto each other. Um, our team camps are often all together with each other. So you have a good relationship with those guys and with their mechanics, um, with those riders. So we often go play on those bikes. As far as racing them, no, um, I wouldn't race one of their bikes, but, um, if I wanted to have a bike, a downer bike from Trek, they would they would give me one. Um, I just feel it wouldn't get much use, to be honest, at the moment, because I uh, I end up if I go on a, a big bouncy bike, it often ends up being my my trail bike, which is a, a you can still pedal it uphill easy enough. My slash. <laughs> and what about doing other things? You know, a lot of the a lot of the guys now, or a lot of the guys, but especially a lot of the girls, they all come from cyclocross actually, and they come across to. Mm. Uh, come across to uh, mountain biking. Obviously, Sam Gaze, he's busy dabbling in the road world at the same time as the mountain bike. You have done a little bit of roadie while you've been back here. But yeah. have, have you got any – are you going enduro? Are you going to do more road? Or are you just firmly, just for the next few years, just going to keep focusing on this XEO? I always think, like, <laughs> the start of the year, like, oh, I'm going to – at the end of the year, I'm going to race – this i'm going to stay over and i'm going to race these three enduro world series at the end of the cross country season or i'm going to come home i'm going to race tour of southland or this and that and then you get you get to the end of the season and you're like shit i just had enough eh? like it's been from january february with Nash nationals right through to october then you just actually want some time off the bike and to go home so um it hasn't happened yet in that sense but um i have raced he enduro world series races a long time ago um back in like 2013 with canada um i know it's something i'd love to do again and trek were actually really keen on that 
also really keen to pushing really hard to get me to um their the cyclocross world cup rounds around the because the, they're based at the trek factory some of the early rounds um they were cancelled last year with with COVID, but i think they'll be back on um at the end of this year there's one scheduled so you never know i might i might end up in the states later in the year if that's um possible for a cyclocross round but i think at the moment what i am really enjoying is is racing on the road here in new zealand um whether whether i end up doing some international races with the road team at some point i don't know but i'll always be a, a professional mountain biker I'm not going to suddenly jump on the road and do that but if i can dabble in it and and I guess learn something from it and improve some some weaknesses of mine then that's um only a good thing and it's the same with the enduro racing if that helps your skills in some way and getting that really um race race downhill speed up then that's only a good thing as well it is well thank you so much for uh joining us but before we go because we are just about out of time we've taken up plenty of your time but we're just going to bring back. It's something we haven't done, Rich, for a, for a couple of podcasts now. So we're going to yeah, bring back right. the old uh, the old quick five questions. So don't think too hard about these. Just fire off the top of your head there. Are you a morning or evening training fella? Evening. Oh well, actually, that that's Richard. That bucks the trend, actually, doesn't it? He's, <laughs> he's in my camp. I'm actually. He this is, is this is good news. This is a good yeah, way to start. Right. Well, he's, he's actually in my camp as well. I'm trying to pretend that I train in the morning, but I'm useless in the morning. But to have a crack at that, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what's your favourite mountain bike race, Anton? Um, Nova Mesto World Cup. Why? The crowds. Um, yeah, <laughs> the crowds really, and the and the track. Yeah, I had a good experience, or well, a couple of good experience. My first ever World Cup win. As a junior, was there when I was sixteen, so and what? second in that close finish with Nina, a couple of years ago. I race well there. <laughs> yeah, good. This one will depend maybe on who's watching and whether uh, out there in North Cambry they're watching. But uh, fancy meal out or mum's cooking? Oh, mum's cooking. Yeah, I went out there for a roast roast lamb dinner and roast uh, potatoes and kumara and pumpkin. Oh, yeah, a bit of roast <laughs> lamb with some mint sauce. Yeah, dessert. Yeah. 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 Especially, yeah, World Cup racing, there's only one option. It's got to be game first. And finally, number five, when training with your teammates, are you a sandbagger or do you just leave it on the table the whole time? Are you a half-wheeler that has to be that half-wheel in front or do you just let them let them think that it's theirs today? Um, yeah, I'm a sandbagger, to be honest. Like, I, I don't often, um, if I'm riding with someone, end up, I'm not often the one half wheeling anyway, pushing the pace. So, yeah. I, I was expecting the opposite, actually. Like, as the, right at the start of the show, you said how competitive you were. Like, you just bring yeah. it on. So, so well done for being able to temper that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, training, yeah. With with others, it's a, it's a lot different. The race mode comes out in, for the races <laughs> when it really matters. <laughs> yeah, you've got plenty of time for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Ah, perfect. Well, once again, Anton, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for giving up your evening to to uh, to share some insights into who Anton Cooper is, where he's come from, uh, what his achievements are, and of course, a little bit of an insight just there at the end into what it's like what it's like to be on a pro team. We wish you all the best. We're so happy that uh, that you can. Uh, get on a big jumbo plane and head across the world and race some bikes again. But there's one question left. Uh, we're obviously live on the Walker 100 page. Uh, Tim Farmer, great friend of ours, and he had specifically asked me to ask you, when will you be at the Walker 100, Anton Cooper? <laughs> Tim's asked me this many times, and I, I can't say – for sure, because I don't know, but it is on my list, and it will happen. 
um whether it's this year or, or the year after it probably depends on a, a few factors all falling into place but um and my i guess biggest of all my how my training is at that time of year my motivation and uh, at, off the back of a long season but i'll turn up at some point and i'll give it a good nudge yeah we can blame tim for the time of year that he tries to hold that, yeah. that race tell him, tell him to push it back a few months and yeah. make it national marathon champs or something i don't know yeah. at christmas time Correct. boxing day or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would really be the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Good job. Well, well done, Anton. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. All the best, mate. Yeah. Well done. Well, there we go. What, what an outstanding interview that was, Richard. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, Carl McKnight here on the note said to Anton, bloody good Kiwi with the best yet to come. I think that's a pretty good summary, isn't it? Looking forward to seeing how he gets on uh, this year with Olympic year and uh, wish him all the best. Yeah, totally. Now, speaking of summaries, Richard, uh, of course, tonight's podcast, not only is it brought to us by uh, Team CP, your endurance coaching specialists, but also it's brought to uh, everybody out there by Giant Bikes NZ <laughs> and Pure Sports Nutrition and uh, we have some gifts to give away. So what we want you to do is tell us throughout this podcast through Anton's interview, and of course we've still got to talk to Braden yet, but tell us one thing you've learned from this podcast. Uh, send us a message, uh, whichever way you're watching this at the moment, drop it in the comments there or send us an Instagram message or however you want to do it. Send us something That's to right. say you watch this podcast and this is what I learned. And, and you've got until next week, next next Wednesday to do that as well. So even if you listen to this as a podcast over the weekend, do that as well. So fire away. What did you learn? What did you learn? Well, actually, what I learned, if you want to know what I learned. <laughs> <laughs> so this is giving people the answer, is it? Is that what you say? Is that training in the afternoon, man. That's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Having, having a sleep in and having a decent breakfast and then going out and, and doing your training. Absolutely. It's good. Oh, I guess 100%. my thing I learned is, is you talked about efficiency, didn't he? In regards to um, uh, racing and and the line choice and that sort of stuff of being efficient in regards to that racing. So I thought that was really good, just to take that thought through to sort of practice laps and and how you how you're actually going to execute race day. And, and having teammates is obviously a key thing too. So Richard, I'm I'm uh, holding my hat on you that uh, when we get to the Walker 100 mile that. Uh, yes. You're going to have all the tips and tricks, and you're going to share them with me to help us both get across the finish line. Oh, absolutely! Um, just hang, hang, hang on the wheel, Angus, and I'll say left a bit, right a bit. It'll be all sweet. Bloody good, perfect, perfect. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it might only be for the first hundred meters that uh, that I'm actually on that back wheel. Oh, so you go, uh, you, you go, uh, you go. Like if I can hold on to your wheel for the first hundred, you do pretty well over your first hundred to two hundred meters. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get you. Yeah, the first you can't win it the first hundred meters though, can you? That's the problem. Yeah, well, we might have to look at that. Maybe we have to look at a different size race, like a hundred meter dash or something. Could be it. Absolutely right. Let's move along, Richard. Your banter is uh, <laughs> is uh, drif drifting away there. So let's get on because Braden Byrne, he's been sitting in the background patiently waiting here uh, mm -hmm. to come on and join us. Now Braden has just speaking of the Walker One Hundred. Braden has just been and completed the Highlander, which was brought to you by uh, uh, Enduro Events, Tim Farmer and his team there. So uh, and not only that, he's just completed that, and he's looking to do the Walker One Hundred this coming October mm -hmm. as well. So so Braden, welcome to our show. Can you guys? How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Hey, thanks for joining us, Braden. Um, what was your learning from Anton? Yeah, I think the efficiency thing as well, just the, I think the sheer amount of work they must put into the small gains, the routes, the corners, everything like that. Um, certainly what it wasn't what I was expecting him to say, so it was, was interesting. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah. You've been making some big gains recently, though, haven't you? Uh, in the last, I don't maybe four to six months or so, we've been working together. Um, yeah. And and obviously, the Highlander was a, a really good event that you've just done in the weekend as a bit of a, a test. How am I tracking? Um, tell us a little bit about uh, first of all the Highlander. How did that go across the weekend? Yeah, it was awesome. Eh? Like it's a it, it's quite a unique event. Like it starts at a place called Tapuia, um, which I think it was the first time it's ever had bikes through it. And then it finishes at the Blue Lake, so quite yep. cool to do, you know, to do a point-to-point -point event, um, which was good. And yeah, it was just really well organised, cool atmosphere, everything like that. So hopefully it keeps going. I think it was first time in seven years that it had been going. Yep. Um, so yeah, 
yeah, completely sold out. And I think that uh, Tim and his team will also organise the weather as well for you guys. Oh, yeah, it was was amazing riding conditions. Couldn't be, like, not too hot, blue sky day. So, yeah, really good. Yeah, good stuff. So let's just take it back a step. Tell us a bit about your background, your training, sort of uh, where have you come from to get into this? Yeah, so my background, like, I've been, geez, I've been riding bikes ever since I was a kid in various mm-hmm. forms. And, um I guess last couple of years I haven't really done much other than riding just for the enjoyment and I've always wanted to do the Walker 100 so as soon as the entry for that came out and the Highlander I just signed straight up to it and just set myself a goal of doing it so I think that the Highlander for people doing the Walker was a really good you know April at six months before a good stake in the ground to see how you're going so yeah and then obviously working with yourself to 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 do that nice and cool. and as, like you've been progressing really well we've been like as anton we talked about doing some testing we've done some regular testing as a time trial up the old hill uh yeah. as, and and what have you improved like of, of about a 20 minute 23 minutes is that what it took the first time up yeah i think i think i've gone from 27 minutes to 21 and a half now so yeah, so mid-december to i think it was mid-march or something so yeah that's pretty was, impressive what what are uh, some of the key things that you've you feel that we've done that has helped you achieve that hills <laughs> just go of, well like just lots of hills like focus on elevation yep. training and you know intensity and that sort of thing and i like the the time trial or measuring it because it actually gives you something to work towards um yep. and like every time i've done the time trial i've been at the top thinking shit i'm I'm smoked here. How am I ever going to go quicker? But I keep seeming to go quicker. So it's been good. Yeah, good stuff. And and uh, hills are hard. There's nowhere to hide. They never get any easier. Maybe you just ride them a bit faster. And and using tools like Strava, when you can measure how many vertical meters you've ridden per week, is a is a really good part of that. But obviously, yeah. that's it's power to weight ratio as well. So uh, the the weight element of that power to weight ratio equation is really important. How how have you sort of been working on that? What what are one or two things that have improved? that side of your performance yeah that's probably been more significant than my riding in lots of ways Mm because like i as part of doing all of this i wanted to lose weight and just be healthy and i think since december i've lost seven kilos which has been good um and sort of tracking on a really steady to keep going down so need need to lose that again for the walker but it's it's going good and then for me that's just been just diet um just making smart choices so um eating proper breakfast not eating rubbish during the day um pretty much cut a good amount of alcohol out of my diet completely now um <laughs> just you know no after work beers or that sort of thing so it's um that's been a real win for me it's you know you just it's good for riding but you feel better as a person too so that's cool Wicked. what's your go-to breakfast now oh, omelets <laughs> every every single day i have an omelet pretty much um which for me has been a game changer because before like i i get up quite early i have breakfast before six o'clock and yep. if i ever have a decent omelet it'll get me through to 10 um rather than you know snacking grabbing rubbish at the service station or whatever so yeah, it's yeah been, nice. it, it just sets you up doesn't it yeah that, so that protein fills you up doesn't it and then you're able to yeah, make it through to a reasonable part of your day for your next next bit to eat and therefore yeah as you say don't eat rubbish um yep. so so going back to the 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 highlander what was your highlight of that event so the highlight for me was up morangi road i was just suffering a eh? like i was hurting and i just thought just keep pedaling keep pedaling keep pedaling and i did and i got to the top um top of time walk and there were people that had passed me up more and he stopped there having a break and i just rolled through and recovered on the downhill and never actually saw them again and like that that just really spurred me on made me feel good just to keep going so like completing the event was a win but that was the biggest win i guess for me personally motivation wise yeah good and it's so good to pass people when you're not like you just pass it's actually just keep rolling without trying yeah. kind of thing is it just be efficient and then and then just roll past them it's good yeah yeah that no, okay. was cool hanging tough what was what was yeah. what was the toughest part of the event yeah i mean that the climb for me from tatawera road up to the top of time warp like 
for me at my level that's probably 50 minutes of climbing with only a couple oh. of minutes downhill on it so oh. yeah, yeah it was it was i'd ridden it in training and i knew what was ahead of me um yeah. which was good but yeah cramped up a bit in that which was an experience but got through it which is good yeah good and what's the learning that you take through to your um walker 100 goal in october um but I, I guess the biggest learning for me was like throughout throughout the day you'll feel good and you'll feel bad um yep. at different times and just not to let the bad times get on top of you just like i just tried to segment it into like top of the next climb bottom of the next descent yeah okay i feel shit now but i will feel better um and i think that's going to be critical over the the time of walker if that makes sense mm -hmm. so yeah just just not writing yourself off too quickly yeah go just little bits at a time as you go and yeah. uh and any advice for others based on what you've done now what you've learned from the highlander taking through to the walker 100 like i think have a plan is the best thing because in in the past when i've done stuff i've just trained and trained and trained to ride my bike but I think for me, it's actually having a plan of how you want to go about the event, not just from a riding perspective, but from a life perspective as well. So making sure you're giving yourself good time for training, getting good sleep, um, eating properly, all those sorts of things, um, because it, it's not just about the pedaling. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and as you talked about that, hey, I'm dropping dropping this weight, and I've uh, improved like seven minutes off my time trial time. And and yes, I'm fitter, but actually, I'm I'm I'm. It's the health element, isn't it? And feeling better in myself. Yep, absolutely. Good job, well done, Braden. Sweet, cool, Braden. I'm super looking forward to uh, catching up with you on that. Uh, weekend of the Waka 100 it'll be great to uh catch up and chat and follow your day and how and i can't wait well actually bit of luck you'll be at the finish line before us <laughs> well you, you boys are starting at what four in the morning or something oh, uh, sure. i think we might start at two or three to give us a bit of chance uh, yeah I, I read i actually read that that was a 4 a.m start and i was starting to think well, why don't we just start the night before because that'll be easier than trying to go to bed just for like a couple of hours and uh and then have to get up and get going that's for sure <laughs> good old day yeah, but Maybe maybe that's a race. We'll, we'll try and see if we can race you to the finish line, Braden. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, good job. Well, no, thanks for joining yeah. us. Um, well done cool. on, on your fantastic weekend and, and all the brilliant improvement that you've made so far and looking forward to helping you out, supporting you and and uh, ultimately cheering you across the finish line if we beat you there. Yeah, Come on, sweet. No, thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah. Well done, Braden. Cool. Brilliant. Thanks, Braden. Thanks, guys. Cheers. So good, Richard. So good. That's that's another one of those examples where we've had Anton on at the start, uh, at the at the peak of his game, at the top of the level, uh, rolling around with pro teams, and then Braden, who's really starting his journey and uh, really proving that, you know, it, it doesn't matter what shape, size, how old, how young, anything like that. If you put your heart to it and put your mind to it, grab a bike uh, and grab someone like yourself, Richard, as a good coach, and uh, you're into it. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's and that's the rewarding thing about this working with people at all ends of the spectrum, and and sometimes it's just one or two little things that they that that really makes a difference, and it's it's not just making a difference to this performance and that performance, it's actually making a difference to their life going forward and and families and bits and pieces as well. So no, it's awesome. Uh, Braden's a great person to work with. He's um, he does super well, and 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 well done for him to go and turn up and doing those time trials to measure his progress, just like Anton. Absolutely. Well, that's been an absolutely fabulous uh, CP Media podcast, uh, Richard. But just before we go, just a few things from the notice board of things that are going on in the CP world. Obviously, yeah, uh, this weekend is the CP Back Row 200. So there's a group of uh, good, keen uh, Team CP members heading off to uh, put a few kilometres in their legs. Yep, 200 k's down the west coast. Brett and Penelope are uh, um, leading a, a bunch of about 20-odd riders down the west coast, so they're going to have a fantastic time. I was looking at their, their, um, their itinerary. They're going to stay in Hokitika for a couple of nights uh, riding um, south, so, uh, yeah, that's going to be fantastic for them. Uh, we've got other stuff. We've got an end-of-season wind-up on the 7th of May, a bit of a celebration of all things that have happened in summer and things that we've done. Um the goat running tour that we're doing on the 14th of may so that's uh across uh three days going to run up and around craigieburn across some lake canary and then across goat pass uh with the crew so so that's happening so if you want to know more about that let us know and then also we've got our coast to coast training camp uh the week after it's going to be a busy week busy month may so um there's going to be plenty going on 
to get second Absolutely. Pick. Absolutely. And there's always, there's always uh, you know, there's always your own challenge out there. You know, pick a hill, pick a time, uh, set yourself a goal, set a distance, just get out there and get amongst it, really. That's, that's the most important thing. So, Rich, just before we go, just before we wind the show up, I want to say a massive thank you to Team CP uh, for putting the show on. Uh, of course, to Giant Bikes NZ and Pure Sports Nutrition who are uh, sponsoring, taking up the night. So don't forget, uh, send us a message, uh, however you want, however you're viewing this. Let us know what you learned from tonight's uh, episode and we'll put you in the draw for some prize goodies from either Giant Bikes and or Pure Sports Nutrition. Uh, of course, also to our regular supporters of the show, Coffee Culture, Evo Cycles, Solomon NZ, the front runner Colombo, uh, Suntu Watches to round them all out, Richard. Yeah, good stuff. And well done. Thanks for you, Angus. And uh, all the best for you riding your bike. Yep, I'm hoping to get some bike riding in as well. Over I've got to put some training in there, actually. Uh, actually, just secretly there, I, I did have a wee event that I was doing on my own, but uh, we're just not sure. The weather may just not play ball for that. But So just as a as a backup, because you should always have a plan B, I've managed to get an entry into the grape ride coming up in a fortnight's time, but uh, d- decided that one lap at 100Ks wasn't enough, so we've entered the Magnum and going to go for the two-lapper and uh, put 200Ks in for the day. Easy. Well, the Waka one, Waka one hundred miler will be easy after that. You're doing two hundred k's this weekend. Well, we've we've got I've I've got you in my sight, Captain. That's that's where it's at. It's a good motivation to have someone else just to just to see, just check in to see how you're getting on. Just just uh, get you out of bed in the morning. Yeah, I'm not sure I can handle uh, the bragging that'll come from you if you put me to the, absolutely put me to the sword. So uh, I'm hoping it comes down to a little sprint at the end. But anyway, that's enough from us. Thank you all for watching. Thank you for tuning in uh, via all our different pages. Uh, and we will be back. Stay tuned. We will be back with another fabulous CP Media podcast real soon. Good job. Thank you.